just a quick announcement before we kick off. Some of you may know that I've been appointed to another parish. That makes three parishes uh, and seven churches. Unfortunately, because of that, I'm not going to be able to continue with the Corona of Thorns podcast. So it'll wrap up next Sunday for the Feast of Mary, Mother of God. But before then, it's still a pleasure to welcome you to the Corona of Thorns podcast. And today is the Feast of the Nativity of the Lord. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who have made this most sacred night radiant with the splendour of the true light, grant, we pray, that we who have known the mysteries of his light on earth may also delight in his gladness in heaven, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. The people that walked in darkness has seen a great light. On those who live in a land of deep shadow, a light has shone. You have made their gladness greater. You have made their joy increase. They rejoice in your presence as men rejoice at harvest time. As men are happy when they are dividing the spoils. For the yoke that was weighing on him, the bar across his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, these you break as on the day of Midian. For all the footgear of battle, every cloak rolled in blood, is burnt and consumed by fire. For there is a child born for us, a son given to us, and dominion is laid on his shoulders, and this is the name they give him. Wonder Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, wide is his dominion in a peace that has no end. For the throne of David and for his royal power, which he establishes and makes secure in justice and integrity. From this time onwards and forever, the jealous love of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today is born our Saviour, Christ the Lord. Today is born our Saviour, Christ the Lord. O sing a new song to the Lord, sing to the Lord all the earth. O sing to the Lord, bless his name. Today is born our Saviour, Christ the Lord. Proclaim his help day by day. Tell among the nations his glory and his wonders among all the peoples. Today is born our Saviour, Christ the Lord. Let the heavens rejoice and earth be glad. Let the sea and all within it thunder praise. Let the land and all it bears rejoice. All the trees of the wood shout for joy. Let the presence of the Lord for he comes. He comes to rule the earth. Today is born our Saviour, Christ the Lord. With justice he will rule the world. He will judge the peoples with his truth. 
Today is born our Saviour, Christ the Lord. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to Titus. God's grace has been revealed, and it has made salvation possible for the whole human race, and taught us that what we have to do is to give up everything that does not lead to God and all our worldly ambitions. We must be self-restrained and live good and religious lives here in this present world, while we are waiting in hope for the blessing which will come with the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Christ Jesus. He sacrificed himself for us in order to set us free from all wickedness and to purify a people so that it could be his very own and would have no ambition except to do good. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, Alleluia. I bring you news of great joy. Today a Saviour has been born to us, Christ the Lord. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Caesar Augustus issued a decree for a census of the whole world to be taken. This census, the first, took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph set out from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, and travelled up to Judea, to the town of David called Bethlehem, since he was of David's house and line, in order to be registered together with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the inn. In the countryside close by, there were shepherds who lived in the fields and took it in turns to watch their flocks during the night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. They were terrified, but the angel said, Do not be afraid. Listen, I bring you news of great joy, a joy to be shared by the whole people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And here is a sign for you. You will find a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly with the angel there was a great throng of the heavenly host, praising God and singing, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace to men who enjoy his favour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive me if you've heard this before. Uh, Forgive me if I'm the one who told you before. Uh, But the story I'm about to tell you is one of my favourites. And it's short. And it comes from the Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard. And it's often called the parable of the king and the maiden. Let me read it to you. Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. The king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush all opponents. And yet this mighty king 
was melted by love for a humble maiden who lived in a poor village in his kingdom. How could he declare his love for her? In an odd sort of way, his kingliness tied his hands. If he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body in royal robes, she would surely not resist. No one dared resist him. But would she love him? She would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly? Or would she live with him in fear, nursing a private grief for the life she had left behind? Would she be happy at his side? How could he know for sure? If he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage, with an armed escort waving bright banners, that too would overwhelm her. He did not want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover. An equal. He wanted her to forget that he was a king and she a humble maiden. And to let shared love cross the gulf between them. For it is only in love that the unequal can be made equal. The king, convinced he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her freedom, resolved to descend to her. Clothed as a beggar, he approached her cottage with a worn cloak fluttering loose about him. This was not a disguise. The king took on a totally new identity. He had renounced his throne to declare his love and to win hers. It's a beautiful little parable. And doesn't it describe the very reason why this child is born in Bethlehem? When we stand before the crib, as we behold the Christ child born in such poor humility, we stand before the first pages of the greatest love story ever told. Because each of us is that humble maiden who God seeks to woo. He's the great king. He's the all-powerful one through whom all things were made. The son is the word spoken by the father that caused everything to exist. And so when we go back to the book of Genesis, to the account of God creating the world, he says, let there be light, and there's light. He says, let there be life, and there's life. By the power of his word, things come into existence. He's indeed the great king of the parable, the one who, by his word, can crush his opponents, whose word shapes reality, and whose word commands obedience. All of reality obeys the word of God. This is our transcendent God, the one who holds us in existence. We owe him everything, and every moment of our lives is in his hands. So what would it mean then for God, with the power of his word, with its power to affect what it commands, to say, I command you to love me. Well, surely we'd obey. Just as much as light is created when he says, let there be light. But Kierkegaard makes an interesting point. He says, 
What does it mean to force someone to love you? He wrote this. The maiden would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly? Or would she live with him in fear, nursing a private grief for the life she had left behind? Would she be happy at his side? How could he know for sure? Well, God's solution is not to command our love, but to woo us. He will put off his glory and power, and he will wear the worn cloak, the worn cloak of human flesh, not as a disguise, as Kierkegaard points out, but as a new identity. And in this new identity of the baby born in Bethlehem, he will declare his great love for poor humanity. A humanity battered and harassed by sin and death. A humanity suffering because of its distance from God. And so, the eternally begotten Son of the Father leaves aside his immortality, takes mortal human flesh, and climbs into the human family. Why? To woo us. To draw us to himself. This child born in Bethlehem is the first pages of this love story between God and humanity. But you know what? We're suspicious. What does he really want from us? There's always a suspicion that comes about when someone tries to convince us of his or her love. Maybe they're secretly here to take something from me. Maybe this beloved is sneakily going to manipulate me, rob me, and finally leave me poorer. We don't let our guard down so easily. So how can God woo us? How can he convince us of his love, that he's not here to take anything from us, that he's here to win our hearts and to bring us to his palace? What can Jesus do to show us that his love is authentic, that he seeks only our good and hasn't come to benefit himself? Well, he'll give up everything he has and possesses. To show that his love is true, he'll make a gift of himself to his beloved. He'll sacrifice himself for her. He'll take up his cross on Calvary. He'll die the death that belongs to each of us so that we might live forever. Now, this is the great climax of the story. This is the highest proof of his love. What greater gesture could he make to his beloved than to say, I suffer everything so that you may have everything. Our Lord Jesus hangs on the cross and cries out, it's consummated, it's fulfilled, it's finished. And he breathes his last. The king dies the death of the peasants. Why? So that our suspicions might be allayed. 
and that we might love him with all our hearts, that we might love him not because we obey his command, but because we're captured by the love with which he loved us first. That we will give ourselves as freely to him as he laid down his life for us. But you know, like every great story, the ending is foretold in the beginning. So that when you get to the end of the story, there have already been signs of this great culmination. We read that this child comes among us in simple humility, in the cold poverty of a stable. His mother Mary wraps him in swaddling clothes and lays him in a manger. The ending is contained in the beginning. Why? Because this same mother, Mary, will stand at his cross. She will receive her poor, naked son in her arms. She'll wrap him in a shroud and lay him in a tomb. He's come among us to convince us of his love. I'm reminded of a story about St. Francis of Assisi. With great emotion and tears, he would cry out, Love is not loved. Love is not loved. When he was asked what he meant, he said, Christ crucified. No one loves him anymore. Love is not loved. Francis of Assisi was a saint who was so captured by the love of the king that he lamented those who had not discovered it. Encountering such love, how could anyone remain unmoved? How could love not be loved? Well, this child comes in order to convince us and to conquer our suspicions. What holds us back? What suspicions do we continue to harbour that keeps this lover at arm's length? Jesus has come to ruin my Sunday mornings because he makes me go to Mass. And so letting him in will make me poorer. Jesus has come so that some guy can stick a collection plate under my snout. Literally making me poorer. Jesus has come to control my behaviour. And he'll take away from me something that will make my life truly happy. So, letting him in will make me poorer. Jesus has come to punish me for the evil I've done. And so, letting him in will make me poorer. Maybe something of that resonates. But how about this one? Jesus has come, but not for me. Who could possibly love me when I don't even love myself? He's hiding something, so I'd better shut him out. I tell you what, we don't make it easy on our Lord Jesus. He's here to woo us. It's not so simple, it seems. Love is not loved because we're suspicious and we're afraid. So how can he overcome all of these obstacles? 
Well, we see today. He takes off his kingly robes. He leaves his palace, puts aside his power, and clothes himself as a peasant and comes to the maiden. He enters our world not with glitz and glam, with overwhelming power and glory, but in beautiful simplicity, with an invitation. I love you. Will you love me? Opening ourselves up to the invitation of Christ brings about the greatest love story ever told. The shepherd who lays down his life for his flock. The bridegroom who gives himself to his bride. The God who was born in a stable and who for the sake of his beloved dies on a cross. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.